trail and ultra runners what is going on what's happening welcome to another episode of the coop cast as always i'm your humble host coach jason coop and today's episode of the podcast is going to examine the value proposition of using poles in trail races and i could think of no better guest for this than our upcoming guest nicola giovanelli phd who has become one of the most foremost experts in the use of poles and is pushing the research forward in this area Nicola makes his second appearance on the podcast, and today he is here to discuss one of his more recent papers, which is titled, Pole Walking is Faster But Not Cheaper Than Uphill Walking. And as the name implies, they tested athletes in both a maximal and a sub-maximal condition with and without poles on a trail. Nicola is also a very good athlete in his own right, and we do veer off of the paper itself and speculate on why they got the conclusions that they did and what that might mean for athletes. At the end of this podcast, we also get into his soon-to-be-released paper where they used an instrumented pole and instrumented shoes to determine if, in fact, poles do save legs, and I cannot wait for that paper to come out as well. Needless to say, you're going to want to use poles in your next race, particularly if that race is uphill and particularly if it is intense. So with that as a backdrop, I'm going to get right out of the way. Here is my conversation with Nicola Giovanelli, all about how to use poles to improve trail performance. Thanks for coming back on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Um, I hope we can get to a couple of uh, papers that you've either written or are coming down the pipeline. But b- before we dive into it too quickly, man, like you've carved out your niche, so to speak, like in the research world and then the trail and ultra community as like the pole person. Like, you know more <laughs> about polling than I think anybody else out there. So the listeners can kind of like appreciate your background a little bit. Like how, like how, what started this obsession? <laughs> uh, yeah. So yeah, maybe I, I'm quite good in knowing the pole uh, um, science point of view, if we can say like this. And uh, because I have read a lot of papers about, about it. And uh, with my group, uh, we have, uh, worked uh, a lot on on trails and uh, on trail running poles because you know there are many papers about nordic working yeah um but they are quite different uh, from our uh, technique because nordic working as uh, uh, usually they, they they use a, a diagonal stride so it is more uh, specific gesture and uh, uh, they do on flat terrain or uh, slightly uphill or downhill but it is not real like in trail running uh, they also have uh, um, a specific aid for the for the pose and uh, so we we should adapt the um, the results that these uh, authors um, found out and with uh, with with our Trail running world. So um, the, everything was uh, born when uh, when we started to uh, try try to understand uh, um, if uh, poles were really useful during trail running, in particular during uphill, because 
um, looking at some races, in particular vertical kilometer races, of course, you can see that uh, in steepest races, uh, uh, the fastest athletes use the poles. Um, and but there were no uh, no no studies about uh, the appeal performance with poles. And uh, starting from the um, Nordic walking study, studies, we we thought that poles were useless because uh, in Nordic walking uh, usually you have a greater um, energy consumption, uh, higher uh, heart rate frequency, heart rate, and uh, also higher lactate, and uh, so all these physiological parameters that were different when they used poles were like uh, not advantages for trail running. I mean, we, with training, we should um, we should decrease the, the energy cost. We should uh, decrease the heart rate at the same uh, uh, power output or, or um, running velocity, running speed. And, uh, but these studies say that uh, if you use poles, you had higher heart rate and uh, higher uh, other parameters. So uh, we started to ask if uh, they were really useful. And uh, I tried to, 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 to read everything about poles, also in, uh, in cross-country skiing and ski mountaineering, but I couldn't find information and I couldn't find uh, uh, real uh, data that uh, confirm that poles should be used during uh, uphill, um, let's say uphill running, even if it's not real running, because you know on when it is so steep, yeah, you, you can hiking. you can run <laughs> uphill, uphill hiking. hiking. Yeah, it's like uh, you know there are some of my friends who kidding me, like saying that uh, I'm not a trail running a trail runner, <laughs> but. I'm a, <laughs> a trail walker yeah, yeah. <laughs> because yeah, you run down it, but <laughs> uphill you, usually you walk. So yeah, so yeah, everything started from this. Yeah. So this whole thing started as an observation, and that that happens a lot in research where you're noticing a lot of the top trail runners are using poles, but we can't quite come up with a reason for why it's advantageous. And I think that this is particularly interesting because when you look at all of the kind of parallel research, then you mentioned Nordic walking and also in cross-country skiing, there might be some indication that poles could cause a disadvantage. So you have this discrepancy between athletes are using it in trail mountain running events because they feel that it's an advantage but yet we didn't have anything concrete to say, yes, it actually is an advantage. And if anything, it might be a potential, it might be a potential disadvantage. So thus the whole unraveling of things and starting to, and starting to identify where polls might actually be an advantage. So we're going to talk about, you know, one of the papers that, uh, that you, uh, that you were the lead author on. And the title is, is pole walking is faster, but not cheaper during steep yeah. uphill walking. And I, I like the fact that you had steep uphill walking very specifically identified and not, and not quote unquote running. So before we get into that though, like when you were setting this paper up, 
what was like the fundamental value proposition that you were trying to tease out with the research conditions? Um, so, yeah, you are right about the, the, the fact uh, uh, on the, about the, the cross country skiing using poles or not, or um, uh, Nordic walking uh, disadvantage or advantage and, uh, and the feeling that athletes uh, of trail running have when they when they use poles and uh, and also that th there were no concrete data about uh, using or not using poles and um, so we 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 when we talked about this paper the 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 reason why we did it was because we wanted to understand if they were useful to be uh, faster and not like uh, not to be cheaper uh, to save energy let's say uh, because i mean when we are we are racing we don't really care about the 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 energy consumption if the race is quite short i i don't i mean 20 30 minutes maybe 40 minutes uh, even if the cost of transport is an important factor on on uh, on the performance and uh, but what we measure what we can measure is the and and what we we want to improve and is the the the, the speed the vertical speed in this case and so the final performance and to to get a, a shorter time of uh, to to finish the the trial so yeah so the the, the main idea here was just to measure the time performance uh, uh, on an appeal and then uh, to say okay um, we can be faster with poles or we can be faster without poles so then yeah you know i i work in a um an exercise uh, physiology laboratory so we can do a lot of measurements when we are doing these uh, uh these tests so we put all together to try to understand why we were faster or, or, or slower when, when we used pause. So that's why we, we, we started this, uh, this paper. And uh, uh, that's the question that we try to, um, to answer. And he, here's what I can appreciate about that the most is it's kind of like you're, you're going for the jugular, right? Because we all know that in in athletics, especially when we're especially when when we're concerned about okay, who's gonna what what are the qualities that elicit a high quality performance, right? Or what are the physiological attributes that elicit a high quality performance? You're kind of going for the jugular right out of the get go because you're measuring performance primarily at the end of the day. And then you can unravel all of the mechanisms. Is it a cost of transport thing? Is it a force thing? Are we somehow spreading out the load? And that's a, you know another paper that you're uh, that you're working on right now. But when I looked at this from the get go, I'm like, yeah, let's just get down to the heart of things. Let's put people in a time trial situation. Let's have them go uphill as hard as they can. Condition A, condition B, and see which one of those conditions produces the better performance. And then. Once we have the performance at the end of the day, then we can start to unravel what, okay, what are all the potential mechanisms that we can tease out 
that elicited this higher performance in this condition versus versus this other condition. So that's what that's one of the things that I appreciated uh, uh, about this uh, about this the most. So you you ex- you mentioned you worked in the exercise physiology lab, so you're able to kind of expand it from this initial idea of we're just going to test in kind of these two conditions. So let's kind of go over the whole array of what you are actually sure. studying, and then we'll get into the results uh, of, of the paper. Uh, yeah, um, this study was. Uh, uh, I think maybe it it was my first re- uh, ecological study. So the first uh, study on on field. Uh, I mean, I have already published a couple of study uh, on uh, from the field, but it was like in track and field, and uh, also it was like an easy setup. Uh, experimental setup because it was just to go to the track and field uh, with the car with you, you you get uh all the stuff from the lab and you you took measurement there and then you analyze the data and uh, and got the, the results but this time was like uh you know uh to go to the mountain with all the equipment and uh, and uh, also a funny story is that i pasted all the athletes uh for four times um up to the trail so in one month i i think i did like i don't know six sixty thousand meters of elevation gain for <laughs> for working yeah <laughs> I, I i bombed sometimes and i was so tired at the end of the week that it was like real working and and um and training uh, uh, at the same time, and uh, so yeah, it was super funny, but it was also hard. And uh, so this was the first time that we we took some measurements on a trail yeah. or a mountain on a mountain trail, because before we we had already um, measured the pole walking and uh, the walking without poles appeal, uh, but in laboratory conditions. Um, in particular, we built uh, we built um, a steep treadmill. Uh, I think it was maybe five years ago, um, and we started to measure uh, the the um, two conditions, pole and without poles, uh, on steep incline up to forty degrees, but on treadmill. So you know, on treadmill, uh, um, the 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 surface is smooth. There are no stones or uh, the, the or uneven terrain, so um, we got some interesting results from that study too. Because uh, we showed that uh, with poles at steep inclines, uh, um, you can save some energy. Um, not a lot. It was like uh, four, three, four percent on average. Um, cheaper to walk with poles uh, than uh, walking without poles uh, when uh, the the athletes were at uh, uh, 25 de- about 25 degrees and, or 30 degrees and um, so um, from that study we 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 thought that uh, yeah with poles it was cheaper uh, to go uphill and um, and so the idea was quite uh, uh, strong, and uh, we thought that yeah, we can go to do some measurements outdoors. But we were 
pretty sure to 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 find out the same results or similar results um and uh, from that study we also hypothesized that uh, the performance with polls should be um better when when uh, when you are uphill on trail uh, because if you can save energy you can be faster so um so it was quite easy to understand this this point um but also we had some limitations to this first study on treadmill and the first one was that it was a treadmill so it was not so specific and um the the walking the pole walking technique was completely different from uh, the pole walking technique that you use when you go outdoors because on treadmill it is easy to do uh to adopt a uh, um diagonal stride like in cross-country skiing um but uh, when you are on trails usually you you don't use diagonal strides so much and because uh, you're reacting you to more, the terrain right you can't be as, yeah. as it can't be as patterned i think is the way that most people will think about it you can't have this like very monotonous predictable type of pattern because you're reacting to the terrain yeah you have to to adapt the the technique to the terrain and to the to the um, incline so uh, we have seen that uh, usually on 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 mountain path they use more like double it's not a real di yeah. double polling but it, it is a, a kind of in the middle between diagonal stride and double polling so it is a different technique and also this is the reason why that um pole walking um in trail running is completely different than nordic walking uh in nordic walking uh, the the movement is quite stable but and the, in in uh, trail running is every every step is different yeah. from the others so uh, we we can't we can't say that okay if you do 1000 steps uh we yeah we have to average all the data because it is impossible to yeah. analyze every single yeah. step but um it is not like in order working so this was the first limitation the other one was that uh, uh when when we measure the for example the cost of transport on uh, on treadmill in in laboratory condition um we do like four five six minutes step um because we only need to have a steady state in uh, oxygen consumption and uh, uh carbon dioxide uh, production and uh, after five minutes we stop the the test and uh, we change the condition for example we change the incline and we yeah. do another one then after five minutes we do another one and but this is not so specific um to the trail running or vertical uh, kilometer races where uh, the duration is longer and uh, so even the the pacing can change and uh, yeah. uh so we wanted also to try to make more realistic uh condition um outside from the from the from the lab let me can, and, can uh, we can we pause yeah. really quick because i think that that's really important because what you were describing one of the limitations that you're describing is reflective of a, a very prototypical running economy test where we put an athlete on a treadmill yeah. at a, at a, at a predetermined speed, 17 kilometers an hour, 12 kilometers an hour, whatever it is, 
you get them to a steady state oxygen consumption, and then you determine, okay, that's their running economy for that particular speed. Yeah. When we try, and the reason that that's 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 particularly important is is it's something that's derived from the marathon and the half marathon world as a strong indicator of potential performance. If you know somebody's running economy and you know their VO two max, you have a pretty good indication of what they're capable of yeah. in the in, in the in the marathon world. Go ahead. Um, you mean in uphill performance? No, 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 not in uphill performance, but in a in a flat level condition. The and then the, and then the reason that that's that 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 is important is because the marathon is contested at a relatively monotonous intensity. The intensity yeah. does not vary all all that much, and so when we take those types of protocols, and in this in this yeah. case, it's a running economy protocol, and yeah. we try to adapt it into a different sport, vertical kilometer or mountain trail running, the results of it might not be as transferable. And in this case, one of the reasons that it potentially is, and we're starting to tease this out a little bit more is because the event is contested at not a monotonous intensity certainly compared to the marathon yeah. and so when you're when you're mentioning the the sorry it's my dog shaking her head when i'm about to kick her out of my room by the way when you're mentioning um when you're when you're mentioning one of the limitations of the study it's that transfer of the testing yeah. protocol to what it actually means in, 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 in the real world. And we got to start somewhere and we're starting from, you know, the marathon world. And I, I think yeah. that you're starting to recognize that some of those transfers might not be as tightly correlated in trail and uh, yeah. trail, trail performances. Yeah, indeed. There is a, a, a discussion about, um, about this, uh, uh, measurements about the, the the running economy you know because uh someone sustained that uh, it it is uh not so useful to measure for only four or five minutes and then assets go go running for two hours or more and uh sometimes a lot even more. because yeah <laughs> two hours is quite good <laughs> actually and uh and uh, also we know that with fatigue, uh, the running economy uh, tend to, to be worse. So you use more energy and you need more energy uh, than the beginning. So when we calculate or we, we try to calculate the energy consumption in a marathon or even during a, a three running race, um, we should consider that after one, two, three, four, ten hours, um, the the cost of transport is can be totally different yeah. from the beginning. Yeah. Uh, also, twenty percent. Even if we we have to 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 say that, uh, uh, and this is quite strange that some authors reported that after a sixty k uh, three running race. Um, athletes had a better uh, yeah. cost of transport, yeah. you know? And there are more than one studies that uh, say this. So um, it is not clear. We, I mean, we know that cost of transport is one of the determinants uh, for the trail running performance and also for marathon performance. But it is not clear if uh, or why sometimes we measure 
an increase after uh, uh, a turning race and uh, sometimes we we find a decrease in cost of transport yeah. so um i think and also the, the fact is that uh, the differences that we measured in particular when when we work uh, with uh, high level athletes uh the difference between different conditions for example using or not poles or uh, uh i don't know before and after a training protocol the differences are so small it's like i don't know two three percent yeah. and uh, even sometimes they are not statistically different yeah. so when you try to publish uh, the, the reviewers said okay you the, the the cost of transport is improved by four percent but uh, it is not statistically different right. so you can't say that yeah. it is better yeah and i i think from for for uh, uh from a practical point of view this is a limitation uh it's like a gap between science and uh, and uh, field performance because if i for example with the poles on the on the apple treadmill we measured the difference that was like three percent or four percent and uh at some steps uh, it, it was not even different between using or not pause but with pause the energy required was always lower uh maybe two percent and uh even if it was not statistically different um when we go outdoors and we try to do the the, the performance with and without pause a two percent of uh, uh improvement in the performance maybe it is a big difference um you have maybe 10 yeah. 15 seconds better and yeah it's nothing for normal people but for uh, high level athletes is the, the 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 difference between to be in top five or to be in top 10 or to 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 win the race so and it's different depending upon not only the athlete but also the the, the race itself. I mean, we, you know, we've got very good data from the university of Colorado and, uh, Roger Crom's old, old, old lab yeah. that indicates that even small improvements, very small improvements, 1%, one and a half percent improvements in running economy or cost of transport can relate, can translate to usually the ratio that they're, that they've been using is about 0.7 to one. So yeah. if you get a 1% improvement in running economy, that's going to translate to a 0.7% improvement in the actual race performance at the half marathon, marathon uh, type of distance. We don't know what that means in a trail running situation. And I think that's something that we're kind of like continuing to unravel is if we improve these physiological variables, whatever it is, cost of transport, you know, with, with or Real without tool, poles, yeah. uh, running economy in more of a traditional, uh, in more of a traditional sense. If we improve those variables, do those, does that actually translate into an improvement in performance? But let, let's kind of get back to this study because I want the, I want the listeners to kind of appreciate how you initially set it up. First thing you did is you brought the athletes into your lab and they did essentially a graded exercise test, but uphill, which I thought was pretty, yeah. pretty novel and unique. You're trying to kind of like set a baseline. And then they went through four different conditions. Why don't you describe yeah. that, that process so, so we can put the listeners in the place of somebody who's actually participating in one of these tests and they can start to understand it. 
yeah, well, uh, you know, wh where I live, um, actually where I live, uh, it's uh, like a small community. Um, and uh, we know uh, everybody, each other's. And uh, so I know, I think all the athletes who, who compete in the in the region this is you and, cajoling uh, people into your lab that's what you're trying to say <laughs> yeah yeah but you know that's great because when i when i have an idea about some study i have like i don't know 40 50 people that want to join the study because they want to try to measure themselves <laughs> on the lab it's selfish uh, they want they, yeah, selfish. Yeah, yeah so yeah. so uh, i have never had problems to find uh, uh subjects for my studies and uh, also in the last two years um i worked with a group from the university of verona and uh, when we decided to do uh these two new studies uh they said okay yeah we can try to do the, the measurements in our lab, but yeah, we can have maybe four to five people ready for the, for the study. And I said, ah, no, maybe I can do it in, in our lab. And I have like 30, 40 people ready for the study. So <laughs> you know, it's just to, to, to send an email or a message or a, uh, also an Instagram a story. And I get a lot of, um, um a lot of um to say uh, availability from the athletes and uh, and th that is great because we can uh, also um make a decision uh, and we have inclusion inclusion criteria for the studies so uh maybe we need 17 or 18 athletes and we can get 20 to to have a, a more um, a higher number and also to have uh, the um, the choice if we have some problems, some issues with the equipment, for example, because you know when you do a lot of measurements, uh, the the um, maybe the lactact uh, once it doesn't work or the VO2 it is not correct, or uh, so you have to to de to to delete some some data, um, and if you have more. Uh, you you still have a, a high um statistical power of the of the of that data so so you um, had 15 for this for this test right pretty pretty yeah. well pretty well powered here especially for an exercise physiology yeah. study i mean that's with one of our common plights is is to try to find enough subjects first thing you did was a graded exercise test uphill let's discuss that that condition and then we can get into the four yeah. experimental conditions so what what does that actually look like like what somebody comes into your lab they're going to do this test what are they going to experience yeah they uh well uh at the beginning we we get um uh some information like you know mm, how much you train uh, how many times and uh um what's your level now with you use the ETA points uh, performance index also to um understand if they are uh, like elite or uh, sub elite or uh, uh, novel to to trail running and um and uh, and after this uh, usually we do the first test uh, uh, is the the an incremental test to get the VO2 max and the maximum vertical velocity if it is an, an uphill test 
or the aerobic uh, velocity, maximum aerobic velocity, if it is a, a test on, on level. And um, after that, uh, uh, they, they also familiarize, familiarize with the um, steep treadmill because uh, one point is that uh, probably the, 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 the most difficult part is to walking with poles on the treadmill. Yeah. And uh, so uh, usually they, they walk for uh, several minutes on the treadmill. And if they live uh, near to the lab, uh, also they come more than one time um, to the lab for uh, trying and for maybe just for five minutes, they go up and they walk with the poles at different inclines. And uh, so this is very important because uh, we have seen uh, with the first study that there was, I think it was like one subject that uh, um, he didn't come to the lab before. And uh, when he started the test uh, uh, by walking with Paul, it was like super difficult to stay uh, to balance yeah, uh, yeah, on yeah. the on the training. So yeah. um, that time we excluded that uh, that subject from the study. Um, and now we we give them the opportunity to come to try the old equipment more than once and uh, and so yeah and uh, usually we for doing these uh, protocols we need three to four days testing days but um, for the athletes this is not a problem I mean uh, for them it is like a training yeah, and yeah. they are happy because they are doing training. Um, with all the data uh, uh, recorded, we, we then we we, gave, we give them uh, the data about the VO2, the cost of transport, and if we measure the force, we give them some data about the force, and so we we try to give them something. So you bring the people into the lab for the first time, right? Yeah. And they're gonna they're doing a maximal they're they're doing yeah. a, a maximal graded exercise test. You start them out at a slope of 10 degrees or 10% slope, right? Yeah. At 5k yeah, an hour. And yeah. they every minute it increases 2% yeah. until you get to a slope of 24%. Yeah. And then the speed increases until volitional exhaustion until volitional exhaustion. So it's a hard yeah. test, right? So you're establishing their maximum. What are you what are you drawing out from the athletes for that particular maximum part of this graded exercise test yeah we use this test for uh, uh two main reasons uh the first one is to get information about the physiological parameters uh the vo2 max in particular and the, the vertical velocity and the other one is to get the uh, second ventilatory threshold um because we use that uh, intensity that is called also an aerobic threshold. So we, we have we have many, um, uh, how to say, we can call it in in different way. You're and, determining um, a threshold of sorts, right? Yeah, I think that, I think we can yeah. simplify it for that. Yeah. Yeah, and from this intensity, we set up the the next test on the, uh, for example, on the treadmill, or uh, uh, in this case not for uh, we didn't use it for the outdoor test because in the outdoor test we we did another maximum test to get the 80 percent of the vertical velocity uh, to use for the sub maximal test 
So the incremental test uh, uh, was necessary to get the, all the data about the, the, the subject. So we know the athletes, we know everything from the athlete, the maximal lactate uh, concentration, uh, the VO2, the vertical velocity, and uh, what is the heart rate and uh, for, 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 for the maximum and also uh, at the threshold intensity. Yeah. And so you're now taking the, that kind of like lab data and using it to calibrate the four field trials that, that you then had the athletes undertake. Can you describe like the four conditions that the athletes had to kind of go through when you actually took them outside? So you did the first thing it's inside it's in yeah. the lab, it's in a controlled environment. Now let's move this to the outside. And what are you specifically measuring under what conditions? Yeah. First things is that, uh, when we do, um, outside tests, we have to, to check the, uh, we, we can't calibrate the temperature or the yeah. humidity, yep. but uh, we try to, to have similar conditions. I mean, if one day it is not raining because we can't get the, the measurements when it's raining, but if it was super humid, we didn't do the test or if it was, uh, I don't know, yeah. Yeah. uh super hot we didn't do the test yeah or we do, we did a test in the morning uh one day and also the morning the other day so we try to maintain the same uh the same time uh during the four conditions and um when we moved from the lab to to outdoors the first things it was to do uh two maximum tests on a trail of uh, um 400 meters of elevation gain um in uh, 1.2 or 1.1.3 kilometer so um, it was uh, the 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 average incline it was about 20 degrees and the maximum was like 30 degrees and um so they they did two maximum tests one day with pause and one day without pause uh and this was randomized between athletes, of course. Yeah. And uh, we measured uh, the same parameters that we got in the lab. So they did the test with the um, metabolic unit with the mask. Uh, they use, uh, we, we, we get the blood lactate concentration at the end of the test. And um, so we get the heart rate, the VO2, the VCO2, and uh, and also the rate of uh, perceived uh, exertion at the end of the of the of each day and um, and of course we measure the the time so they started for example one the first day the athlete started without pause uh, to try to do uh, his best uh, on this uh, on this uh, trade and um, afterwards we we get all the data and uh, we calculate the metabolic power and uh, we measure the lactate and everything. And uh, the second day, we did the same trail in the same condition uh, or similar condition, but uh, without uh, one day with pulse and one day without pulse. So after after this, we, 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 we compared the first thing was comparing the time. And, uh, and uh, because it was uh, uh, the performance. So we were interested in improving the performance, 
So first things was to compare the time with poles and without poles. And we calculated the vertical, the average vertical velocity uh, of each day. And from this, we calculate the 80% of the vertical velocity. For example, um, if one athlete uh, uh, run the trial or better walk the trial uh, at uh, uh, 2000 meters uh, per hour of uh, elevation gain, um, we calculate the 80%. So it was 1600 meters per hour. And we use this uh, vertical speed, vertical velocity for the next test, for the next to submaximal test. This is what I found interesting, but hold on before we get before we get into yeah. that. So just to recap, you had the athletes do two maximum effort time trials up a trail. Yeah. And just to like help the listeners encapsulate that this is about a 20 minute effort, maybe a little bit less than a 20 minute effort as hard yeah. as you can go with poles and without poles in a randomized order, right? So you get them there. They don't know yeah. if they're going to do with poles or without poles. You tell them you're going to do with poles and the next day without poles. And you're comparing the time and you're also collecting, you're doing, you're also uh, collecting the, uh, uh, their oxygen uptake or their oxygen consumption, as well as you're taking lactate uh, at the very end. You then take yep. those performances. Well, first off, what did you find in the maximum tests? We'll just stop there and then we'll kind of go to the submax test, which you were alluding to. What did you find within the maximum tests in this, in this hard, go as hard as you can type of time trial? Yeah, I, I think this is the the, the most important um, uh, results of the study, and it was that uh, twelve out of uh, fifteen athletes were faster with pause, and uh, they were like thirty seconds uh, faster with pause um, on a on an eighteen on a, or nineteen minute effort, which yeah, is it's a lot. Yeah, yeah which is not a lot. which is not trivial. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it was like uh, uh, only uh, 2.5 or 2.6 faster percent faster. So this is what we, we were talking about uh, before. And um, so I think this is important because we can now we can really say that uh, pause are useful to improve the performance. In that um, condition, in that maximum, this, go as yeah. hard as you can for 20 minute type of type, yeah. not exact, but type of condition. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, and uh, the three athletes that didn't improve the performance, we try to uh, to understand why. And uh, I'm pretty sure that two of them uh, didn't um, were fa uh, they they weren't faster with pause because they were uh, too strong uh, as athletes. I mean, they uh, they had a VO2 close to 80 milliliter per kilo per minute, and uh, they were so fast on this on this uh, trial, maximum trial, that uh, the average velocity uh, was faster than the walk run transition. So they, they, they run almost all the trail up uh, and they run with the pause. So when we, uh, when they didn't have pause, they could, uh, uh, be faster than when they didn't, than when, when they ha had pause. So, uh, probably for them, uh, 
this was the reason. It's interesting because you present all the individual data in the paper. Yeah. I'm looking at it right now. It's this is figure two. If people are just kind of like following along, and you can see those two athletes that have a you know a vertical uh, velocity of somewhere around seventeen hundred and fifty meters per hour, which that's really fast. Um, yeah. that's a, that, that, that's very, very fast. And that's a good observation from your part that they're not, that those athletes are not actually walking, they're running the, <laughs> yeah. the, the, the entire, the entirety of the trail. So it, interesting observation there, but almost everybody was faster using poles than yeah. not using poles. What say you about the metabolic data, the oxygen consumption? Was that different between using poles and not using poles? And what do you read into that? Yeah, the interesting thing is that uh, we we didn't find um, differences between uh, using or not using poles in any of the uh, physiological parameters, not in VO2 or uh, cost of transport or heart rate or lactate uh, concentration or uh, um, RPE or uh, whatever. Uh, also in the in the um, step length and step frequency, everything was the same. So you use the same energy, but you are faster. That's the message. Yeah, which is really so. Here's kind of what I take take away from that, and I, I think that this is a little bit maybe surprising, right? Given some of the previous research, but yeah. kind of kind of when I look at it, and I want to get your opinion on this. When you're going as hard as you can, it's as hard as you can, and there's there's like if you're doing a VO2 max type of effort, which 20 minutes is going to be pretty pretty freaking close to that. It's kind of hard to change that despite the conditions, poles, no poles. You can try to contrive it in any kind of other way. But because you're going so hard and you're already eliciting a maximum, a, like a maximum type of cardiovascular or cardiopulmonary type of effort, when you change the, when you, when you kind of change some piece of it and here you're changing the equipment, it's not surprising to me that the VO2 data is exactly the same because of that that condition that you're just going all out. Yeah, and this is the reason why that we can say that they perform uh, as their best in both conditions. Yeah. So this is important for us because if uh, the VO2 or the heart rate or the cost of transport was different between conditions, uh, we couldn't really say that they were pushing uh, their best in both conditions. Mm -hmm. So uh, at their maximum, it is maximum stop. So it is not like yeah. I can give, uh, I can go faster or I can uh, have a higher VO2 because I have pause. Yeah. Uh, maybe we could expect some difference between, between using or not pause because uh, you know, with pulse, you use uh, you involve more muscle mass, and uh, and the heart rate might be a bit higher. But probably all these subjects were so were trained with and without pulse, so they could push uh, at their best in the in bo in both conditions. And uh, yeah, so this is uh, quite important to us uh, uh, to to say this. And the, a different, um, a different uh, 
discussion is about the submaximal yeah. Um, uh, trial. So let's do that. These yeah. Parameters. Yeah. Let's do yeah. that. So you get your maximum trials and the, the take home message there is they can go faster at the same oxygen cost. And yeah. then you bring them down into a sub maximal condition. So describe like, try to describe how hard relatively speaking that sub maximal condition was for the athletes, how you're instructing them on how to do it. And then what the results were. Yeah, so from the vertical velocity of the maximum test, we calculate this uh, uh, 80%, and uh, we use this uh, uh, intensity to set the the next two tests, one day with pause and one day without pause, at 80% of the vertical velocity maintained during the, the, um, the maximum test. Um, we decide to use this... Uh, um, percentage because it is quite similar to the intensity that it is maintained during a six hour trail running race. Mm, okay. Uh, that's important, right? You, you're like, yeah. that's a reasonable length, kind of like ultra marathon, six hours. Let's yeah. see what it looks like at this type of intensity. Yeah. And we were interested in, in, in try to measure this, uh, intensity because, uh, okay. We, we have seen that when you are doing uh, a maximum test, poles are important and you can uh, be faster. But uh, we also are interested in understanding if in longer um, performance, they can be useful. Um, why in UTMB or in any other longer three running races you see maybe i don't know 99 percent of uh, of participa participants that uh, are using pause and uh, but there are no data that about this so yeah. uh, we we didn't know why yeah i mean i'm an athlete too and i use pause in long uh, in long performance and uh, i feel that i can do better with pause or and uh, the fatigue is uh, lower and the uh, uh, perceive exertion is lower but we didn't know, we didn't, uh, we couldn't have a, um, a number that said, okay, it is much better and uh, you can save 5% or 10% of energy when you, when you use post during uh, UTMB. And so uh, we tried to, to, to measure the, um, the cost of transport, so, and the oxygen uptake, um, at the same intensity that usually athletes use uh, during a six to seven hours um, race. Uh, for this reason, we, we use this intensity and, uh, and the athletes try to do the same uh, uh, 400 meters of elevation gain uh, in both conditions with and without pause at the same, uh, with the same time. I mean, if one athlete to 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 complete the trial in 22 minutes and 30 seconds uh, with pause the day the, the day um, the second day he did the same 400 meters at the same vertical velocity so uh, 22 minutes and 30 seconds but here's so hold, on, hold on it's kind of clever how you did it though and i want people to appre i want people to appreciate this so you're you're telling them to do this time trial at 80% of the yeah. vertical ascent rate 
that they did the maximum trial is, and that's like, like if, if, if everybody at home, just think about this proposition, you go out and you run up your favorite trail as hard as you can. And then the next day you're going to run up that trail at 80% of whatever that maximum, whatever that maximum is or whatever the ascent rate was for that. That's not an easy thing to do. So you actually employed a pacer to kind of like set the right <laughs> tempo on this. Correct. I mean, that's what I'm reading in the paper. Yeah. You had somebody say, okay, I'm going to like, I'm going to make sure that all these athletes hit this 80% mark correctly. And then the pacer, it was the pacer's job to make sure that they yeah. were on pace. <laughs> yeah. And I did it. <laughs> I was about to say, this is you, this is where you get the 60,000 meters of vertical, yeah. right? You were the pacer. You're sacrificing crazy. yourself for science at this point. <laughs> yeah, of course. You, you know, uh, some, some days I did it for, uh, I, I think maybe one day I did it five times. So it was like, oh uh, 2000 meters of elevation gain. Uh, up and down, up and down for all day. Okay. I and figured it was you when I read that in the paper. I'm like, <laughs> I know, I, but I wanted to get confirmation on it. So you are the pacer. You're ensuring yeah. everybody runs at 80% of their, of their ascent rate for this, for this second set of trials with poles and without poles. And yeah. you did a pretty good job at it. Just looking at the <laughs> statistics, to be honest with you. I mean, they're very, very consistent. So, yeah. so go, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, because we, we mark the, the trail every 25 meters of elevation gain. So I, I, I calculated the time to get uh, the first 25 meters, then the 50, then 75, <laughs> then 100, 125, and so on. And uh, so I knew that if I, I had to, to go up uh, 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 the, the first 25 minutes, 25 meters in one minute, then the 50 was two, two minutes. So <laughs> I just go in front of the, of the participant and uh, I said, okay, just follow me and uh, walk with pause or without pause and just follow me. And every, uh, every 100 meters or so, I asked them uh, the, the Borg scale for the mm. perceived exertion. So, um, yeah, and it was quite easy with the slower uh, athletes, but <laughs> with the two fastest, it was like, yeah, I was full gas yeah, in front yeah, of yeah. them. And, uh, but yeah, it was great training for okay. me, by so, the way. <laughs> so now, now you've got this set up to where you have these 15 participants. They're walking uphill with poles and without poles at an effort that's equivalent to about a six hour, you know, about a six hour, about a six hour race. What did you find from those two trials? Um, we, we found what we didn't think to find. I mean, that uh, uh, based on our previous uh, papers, we thought to find uh, a lower uh, cost of transport, lower uh, heart rate when they used pause. Um, but uh, at the end, it was... Uh, everything, every every physiological parameters was the same in both conditions. So there were no differences between using or not using pause uh, at this intensity. So, yeah, so the message was not clear. I mean, uh, we cannot say that uh, pause are useful during uh, uh, a long race. 
and uh, but yeah we cannot say that uh, they are useless as well i mean uh, we we didn't find differences between the two conditions and one reason probably was uh, because you know they they started and they did this trial uh, not in fatigue conditions so for them to go up at uh, 80% of the vertical velocity of the maximum test, it was like a medium intensity because um, it was like 70% uh, of the, of the uh, maximum heart rate. So it was quite easy to maintain. And, uh, and uh, we, do, we did only these measurements when they were not fatigued. Yeah. If if we tried to do the the same measurements maybe after six hours of uh, trail running and after maybe two thousand meters of elevation gain and loss, maybe we 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 had uh, uh, some different uh, um, results because uh, with uh, your when your legs are fatigued, probably you use more your upper limbs uh, for pushing on the on the poles. And uh, so, yeah, this is a limitation of this part of the study. Um, you can only and, compare uh, what you measured, right? So I'll, I'll yeah. add, I'll add, I'll add a caveat or a postscript to your earlier comment that you can't create a compelling reason to use poles in this condition based off of what you were measuring, and the specific thing yeah. that you're measuring, oxygen consumption, lactate, you know, heart rate and things like that, yeah. which are remarkably identical. If anybody wants to go look at the P values on the paper, like those, those, those values are remarkably identical across those conditions. You hardly ever see that, uh, or at least that level of consistency or that level of reproducibility in, uh, uh, in exercise physiology research because everybody's so different. So, so it is remarkable that you actually found that. However, as you mentioned, there might be another benefit to using poles in a similar intensity condition, six hour race, eight hour race, you know, however you want to, however you want to call it, because you're not measuring for everything, right? You're only, you're only, only yeah. quote unquote, measuring the kind of the cardiopulmonary uh, aspects of things. So let's get into that. And I, I appreciate you sending me over kind of the pre-production of uh, yeah. what's going to be a really cool paper when it actually does come out. One where you used instrumentation to start to start to solve this problem, which is really cool. You used instrumentation at the level of a foot and you use instrumentation at the level of the pole to determine yeah. is there some sort of savings or advantage advantages. Can you kind of describe that a little bit to how you're starting to uncover, okay, now that we can't create like an economy case, essentially, or cost of transport case for using poles, or it's difficult to, what are the other advantages that you're actually looking at now? Yeah, you know, so after this, uh, this study, we, we wanted to understand why uh, athletes were faster. We know that uh, with pause you can uh, redistribute your the, the the work from the lower limbs to upper limbs, but we didn't know how much work you can do with your upper limbs um, during uh, uphill walking. So we used uh, um, we used uh, an instrumented pause and also the insoles. Uh, to measure the the force, uh, the pushing force on the pole, and uh, and the ground reaction force on the 
on the feet. Um, what is that before to, you get into it? Like, like yeah. what is an instrumented insole and an instrumented pole? You said you're measuring the force, but is it like, like I, I understand the soles because I know the technology, yeah. the, the listeners are not going to be familiar with this so we can describe that, but I don't know how you did with the poles. So I'm more curious. So describe both of those, like the, the insole that you're using and the instrumented poles a little bit more. Yeah. So we, 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 we put a cell force, a small one. Uh, in the in the pole and um so when when you push on the pole you can you can see um from the device that uh, that we build you can see how much weight you put on the pole i mean if you uh, if you push one kilos or uh, uh, 10 kilos or uh, 20 kilos we could see uh, how much weight in newton we got from the from every uh, every movement uh, from the poles. But it's a, it's and, a strain uh, gauge similar to like a cycling power meter. Uh, Am I understanding that correctly, or is it slightly different? Uh, yeah, it's not strain gauge. It's a uh, um, a button cell force. Uh, it is a small one. It is like uh, I don't know, like a button. You know, this is the, the button, and uh, um, it has a small uh, a small. Uh, um, um part that when it is pressed may uh, change the the voltage of the of the cell right. of the right. of the force cell and then from that uh, with the calibration we can get the the real uh data about the force the the, the force the newton or the kilo kilograms okay. and uh, similar is the the insoles uh we use the the um, an insole with uh, uh, there were three sensors, two in the fore foot and one uh, in the rear foot. Uh, but then we average all, all the sensors because we didn't want to 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 look for if you you push more with the fore foot or rear foot. And um, so then we we get. All the data together, and we compare the data from the poles with the data from the uh, feet, and uh, we try to understand uh, to get the the, um, the results from of the using poles, and to to look for uh, if wh when you use poles, uh, you can use less your uh, lower limbs. So I, I don't know if you, but in Italy we say. Uh, when you use pulse, you save yeah. your legs. Yeah, uh, that's a very colloquial mean, way to put it. Yeah, yeah, and we mean that uh, uh, if you use pulse, you need less force uh, from your lower limbs. So we we wanted to to see if it was real, and uh, so we did a similar protocol of the first study. Um, the athletes did the maximum test, two maximum tests, but it was quite, it was a bit short. It was only 150 um, meters of elevation gain. So it was like uh, five short to test. seven. Yeah, very short yeah, test. Yeah, it was a short test. And um, uh, one day with and one day without, without pause. And we also did the same in treadmill. So we did two incremental tests um, to maximum um, by increasing the, the, the slope of the treadmill every every minute. And um, one day it was 
with pause and one day it was without pause. So um, the, the results of the study, we are now discussing also with the reviewers because um, we are trying to publish this uh, uh, on a good journal. And uh, uh, I think it is quite interesting because it is the first time that uh, it is we compare the force from the upper limbs to the lower limbs yeah. uh, during a trail running uh, uh, event. And um, at the end, we can say that when we use pulse, we need uh, less force from the lower limbs. And uh, this is important because uh, for long, for longer uh, event, you can save, uh, even if it is like only two, 3% uh, of energy saving, it's a lot after 10 hours of trail running. So, um, I, I think this is a good uh, a good uh, um, device to measure this uh, different, and uh, we can we, we are also working more on this with these devices. And I tell you more uh, that we are we have just finished another another measurement another study uh, in which we measure the uh, polling force. Uh, before and also the cost of transport before and after uh, 30, 30k uh, trail running uh, training. And and it's almost uh, like a durability study, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, so we have a lot of data to publish today. And uh, so we have to, to, to make more clear this some points of this discussion and uh, yeah. But what, so let me try to encapsulate this for the listeners uh, who might have gotten lost in the weeds of, you know, force and the physics lesson and things like that. Literally, you're measuring how hard the athletes are pushing off just with their feet and then how yeah. hard they are pushing off with the poles and then comparing those two conditions and saying, well, are they pushing off as hard with their poles as the difference? between how hard they're pushing off with their feet when they actually use the poles. Like, is it, is it, is using poles, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to use a kind of a colloquial terminology here, but is the use of poles an efficient system or do you have to put more force into the ground than you're actually alleviating from your feet, more force in the ground with your arms than you're actually alleviating from your, 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 your lower limbs. And that's an unanswered question. And one that we try to, use the metabolic data or the cost of transport data to try to like use a little bit of a window into that, but you're actually getting the force data literally at the level of the, at the level of the pole level of foot, almost at the ground level, right. To use that term to, to try to answer that, which I think is really interesting. And, and to be honest with you, once a lot of this comes out, I think that it's going to either add clarity and or change how we use poles in a real time setting. Do we use them in steeper terrain? Do we use them on more flat terrain? Do we use them at this intensity versus that intensity? Because you start to get to the, well, I like to use them because I feel better and I feel like I'm faster, but we, but, yeah. but since there are all these varying conditions, uphill, steep, uphill, you know, going slow, walking, running, as you mentioned in the earlier trials, yeah. we don't have a good set of like operating rules to say, 
under these conditions, these are the specific types of performance or the, the specific ways that it can improve performance. And under these conditions, it actually might be a detriment. I can see that starting to get teased out with the with this and the future iterations of research that that, that you're producing. Yeah, um, we uh, from the from the results that we have uh, to date, we can we can say that uh, um, steeper is the is the the, the slope. And greater is the um, advantage that you get from the pulse. And the faster you you or better, higher is the intensity, and uh, greater is the advantage you get from the pulse. So uh, now the point that is missing is um, if uh, during ultra long races, ultra long uh, ultra trail, you really can get uh, uh, a lower um, cost of transport, and you, if you can have, uh, um, if you can save energy from the using from using pause. Here's so, the thing with that, uh, though, man. Here's the thing that, that with not to cut you off too quick, but here's the thing that 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 would be really interesting to me. We know in really long races oxygen is not as much of a premium or the rate of oxygen consumption is not really at a premium. You're running at your, your locomoting at such a low intensity that even if the cost of transport were two or 3% higher or something like that, using poles over hundred kilometers, yeah. let's say, let's say your energy cost went up by 2%. I'd kind of look at that and go, you know what? That's not that big of a deal. For most athletes that aren't like pinning themselves on every single climb, if they can get a saving to your research that we just pointed out with the instrumented poles, if they can get a saving of the legs, right? Yeah. In some other format. So that's what I'm saying. It's starting to tease out the specific, like kind of the nuance of it is, is it a cost of transport or an oxygen saving? Or is it actually like a, a force or a muscular, right? Type, type of saving and, and, and the strategy to which we kind of like deploy poles, I think is going to change because be, once we start to figure out better answers to that. Yeah. I, I think that, uh, without looking at the physiological parameters like VO2 or cost of transport, we just can say that, uh, when, when you use poles and, uh, when athletes that participated in our studies, uh, use pause, they always add lower rate of perceived ex exertion. Yeah. So it, it is probably more muscular. Uh, I mean, yeah. uh, when in the last study, in the force studies one, we, we, we have seen that when, uh, you use pause, you have, uh, lower weight on your feet. You have to push less, uh, to go at the same, uh, at the same, uh, vertical velocity and uh, so this uh, redistribution of the work between lower and upper limbs can help uh, maybe not to be faster uh, but uh, the feeling that you have uh, is much better and uh, probably you can also I, I, you don't save energy you you use the same yeah. energy but the, the the same energy is distributed from the upper to and lower limbs and so maybe nothing changed from a physiological point of view, 
but uh, the the big change is that you feel better and maybe uh, then you can run faster downhill because yeah because your muscles of the lower limbs are uh, not fa- fatigued and then uh, the difference maybe you don't do the difference uh, during uphill but you can be faster downhill or in the runnable sections of the race and uh, also this is a, a point to discuss actually we don't have data about uh, about this because we should uh, uh, set up an experimental design that would be very very complicated uh, but uh, I, I think that it, it can be this can be like an uh, hypothesis to 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 say that uh, you should use pause because you save uh, your legs and then you can run faster in the in the other section of the race. Yeah. I, I think that th- that is re- it's speculation as you mentioned, but I yeah. think that that's reasonable speculation based on some of the, a lot of the work that you've done and also just how athletes, why athletes use poles in longer races, even though they might not be particularly steep, as you mentioned earlier, yeah. right? We know when it's very steep, you do get, you know, a performance advantage and the intensity is higher. You do get a performance advantage. But despite just knowing that, we still see athletes use poles in the Tour de Jant, right? You know, yeah. 330K, super steep terrain, very low intensity because of the uh, the duration of the event. And, 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 and if you talk to those athletes, a lot of, a lot of the, uh, a lot of the dialogue is going to be just centered around, I'm trying to quote unquote, save my legs. <laughs> yeah. We're going to use that colloquial term. <laughs> yeah. We're going to yeah. leave it at that, man. Thanks for, uh, coming back on the podcast. Maybe we'll bring you back yeah. on once this next paper is coming out, because yeah. I, I do, I do think it's super interesting now that we have, uh, a lot of the instrumentation to start to, um, uh, yeah. to start to look at other reasons, so I'll probably cajole you into into coming back on on the podcast at that point. But thank you, ma'am. And where can listeners uh, find more about you and the research that you do and the work that you're uh, performing? Um. Yeah. First of all, thanks for the invitation, and uh, uh, it's nice to to present our works and uh, to discuss with you about this this data. Um, you can you can find uh, um, papers and other information on my website uh, nicolajovanelli.com and uh, on my uh, social page in, on Facebook and and Instagram. Uh, or if even anyone uh, wants to contact me, uh, can do it um, uh, from this uh, uh, channel or by email from the website. So yeah, it's my pleasure. Well, keep doing the work that you're doing, man. We're solving really Thanks. cool problems. I, I appreciate it. I'll have links to the show notes into all of that. And uh, I'm sure we're going to run each, into each other on the trail soon. Yeah. Thank you. All right, folks, there you have it. There you go. Much thanks to Nicola for coming on the podcast today and discussing where we might actually get an advantage with the use of poles in trail running and in particular steep trail running. I do think that we have a lot to explore in this area, as we alluded to in the kind of towards the end of the podcast, because the research to date has only illuminated so much of the use case with poles. 
So we're going to continue to push the boundaries. We're going to continue to listen to athletes out in the field, and we're going to continue to examine under what conditions poles can be used and where some conditions, maybe they aren't quite so useful. And we have Nicola to thank for pushing the envelope in that particular area. We discuss both of the papers that Nicola and I discussed during the podcast in one of the future editions of my new research newsletter, Research Essentials for Ultra Running. We break it down amongst our research team. We dive into the detail, we dive into the nuance, and we come together with some conclusions that we didn't quite explore in this podcast. And we go into depth a little bit more than we can with this particular podcast. And I'm quite excited about what the results of that actually are. You guys can look forward to that in a future in a future edition, a future issue. It's probably going to come out maybe within the next two months. So you might have to uh, hold on for a second. If you are interested in signing up for that newsletter, it is only $9.99 a month. You can cancel anytime. And we examine three to five research papers that are specific to ultra marathon with our PhD level team. We break it down into plain English and what the practical takeaways are for you, the athletes. You can sign up uh, directly on my website, which is jasoncoop.com. I will leave a link to that in the show notes. Appreciate the heck out of each and every one of the listeners out there. And as always, we will see you out on the trails. Mm-hmm.